This is the Smallmouth Crush Podcast. If you're a hardcore angler, you've come to the right place. This is a weekly podcast that will interview some of the top smallmouth bass anglers in North America. Travis and his guest will discuss what it takes to consistently catch big smallmouth, and you'll get a glimpse inside the mind of a trophy smallmouth angler. And now, here's your host of the Smallmouth Crush Podcast, Travis Manson. Hello, welcome to the Smallmouth Crush Podcast Season 1. We have two more podcasts left interviewing some of the top smallmouth anglers across the country. What a journey. So much information. I hope you guys took some good notes. I'm sorry that you had to spend so much money on tackle. I am guilty as well. Okay. I went to town on a lot of these recommendations and I feel, I feel like I have a lot more tools when I'm out there on the water. So I'm learning a lot. I hope you guys are as well. So I know we have a great show lined up, but before we go there, we got to talk about, of course, the real shot guys, the real shot's been with us all of season one. And of course it's the premier tackle store. It's a tackle store. I recommend for all your tackle needs. They got everything you could imagine when it comes to bass fishing, walleye, salmon and trout and, and hunting, bunch of hunting equipment, gear, everything. So head on over to realshot.com. Use my code smallmouthcrush15. Get 15% off your order. Same day shipping, fast delivery. Get you ready for your next big bass adventure. Let's bring our next guest on. Mike, how you doing? Good. How are you, Travis? Good. Are you, me, man. are you in the dungeon or what? What's going on yeah. back there? That's that's uh that's where all the tying happens, is in all the dungeon. The tying. I love and it. And by tying, like I don't mean any uh, any crazy stuff. I'm just talking about hair jigs. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> Man, I love I love fishing hair jigs. There's something about a hair jig when it comes to smallmouth. They love it. And I'm going to have a bunch of questions for you when it comes to smallmouth fishing. But before we go there, Mike, if you could just take a, a few minutes and introduce yourself and let us know what part of the country you're from and your home body of water and, and why you love smallmouth fishing so much. My name is Mike Iavino. Uh, most people in my uh, inner circle, I guess you could say, know me as Weensy. It's a nickname that's kind of followed me from uh, from college onward into my professional career, even <laughs> stuck like glue. I am uh, from Connecticut, though not originally. Originally from, from the Bronx, New York. I'm a freshwater guide and angler. I guess my home body of water would be Candlewood Lake okay. here in Connecticut, which is kind of the premier bass fishery in the state of Connecticut, at least. 5,300 acre lake, which is pretty small in comparison to, to some of the other uh, smallmouth fisheries that we have, or at least the more notable ones, like, you know, the Great Lakes and and uh, Lake Champlain, those larger bodies of water that are more known for smallmouth. But yeah, I'm a tournament angler, freshwater guide, grew up uh, saltwater fishing, believe it or not, in the mm. Bronx. And my uncle was uh, first mate on a charter boat got me involved in fishing when I was super, super young. Uh, when the family moved to Connecticut, it was time to, to get into freshwater fishing because uh, it was just saltwater was relatively inaccessible because we lived inland mm-hmm. uh, of the coast, started pond fishing, and then it just kind of took off from there. I got into like the junior Bassmaster program when I was 11 years old. I've been, you know, freshwater tournament angler ever since. Do you miss the salt at all? Uh, I, I still visit it plenty. I get back to it every once in a while. It's not 
for me, honestly, you know, a lot of guys actually go the other way. They go start freshwater fishing and end up saltwater fishing. For me, it's more of like a an intricacy type of thing. So, yeah, I, I, I think that freshwater fish are a lot more uh, complicated and difficult to figure out than saltwater fish are. That's what's kind of been the, the thing keeping me in, you know, pursuit of particularly smallmouth, but mm. uh, smallmouth and largemouth bass. So Candlewood Lake, it's a well-known fishery, a lot of great largemouth and smallmouth on that lake. When you think of Candlewood, it's relatively a regional lake, I would say. Like a lot of people in that region fish it, but you don't find a whole lot of people from far away coming there, which might be a good thing. But it's really, truly a, a world-class fishery for that, that area. Would you agree? Oh, definitely. It's tough because of the pressure. To Is be completely it? honest, I mean, it can be it can be tough in general. The fish there can be pretty finicky, but you really gotta know what you're looking for. There's a lot of subtleties that I've been able to to implore over the years to catching fish really all throughout the season, just because of the pressure and how the fish react to it. It only being you know a little less than 5,400 acres, it's like 5,380 or something like that. You know, you can imagine getting. 150 bass boats on a, a a body of water that's like you know a bay on Lake Champlain essentially. It, it's it's a lot of pressure on a very small body of water, and a fish is even smaller. You really have to kind of figure out the subtleties, the ways the fish are acting, and and really dial it in to be successful there on a continuous basis. Well, I'm going to definitely drill you a little bit when it comes to some of these little little things that that help you put more smallmouth in the boat because sure. it's really important especially when you're dealing with with a lake like Candlewood where it's somewhat small but a lot of fishing pressure relatively clear and the structure I mean I've fished a handful of times it looks looks like every area should hold fish and I don't know if that's yeah. the case but I've seen some of the weights that come out of that place describe a typical tournament what type of weights are you seeing in the springtime, I mean, as far as five fish goes, if you're talking about like a team tournament, you're going to have to have upwards of 22 to, to even think about it. Uh, you know, there's there's times where you know, it's like tournaments are one with 27, 28 or five. Even at, even believe it or not, in, in uh, like June, July and August uh, recently, the bite has gotten really, really good in the middle of the summer. In the spring, you know, Usually it's, you know, mostly smallmouth guys are coming in with the occasional, you know, bag that has one big largemouth mixed in. You're talking 22 to 25 of, of, of all smallies to, to think about winning a, a, a team event there with five fish. That's pretty good weight. So when it comes to chasing these fish in the highly pressured bodies of water, I, I think a lot of people that are listening to this and or watching this can relate. And, you know, we see a lot of pressure when it comes to uh, some of the smallmouth waters uh, that are out there. And so I really want to dig into some of these things that you've, you've done to put some of these good bags together. But if you could, maybe we start out on a seasonal pattern and, and kind of walk me through a whole year of fishing, you know, candlewood for smallmouth. What's the earliest you typically can get out there and start targeting fish in the spring? Usually it's the last week of March. So it used to be that the lake would uh would close april 1st through the 
third Saturday in April. That then changed to the second Saturday in April. And then I think it was two years ago, they got rid of the, the closed fishing season here in Connecticut. So as soon as the ice is off the water now, you know, guys are, guys are getting out there and fishing and uh, with great success too. I mean, wow. ice out on Candlewood is really, really good. Candlewood's a unique lake because everything that's in there, all the structure is essentially man-made. It was five towns that in 1926, they flooded everything. Uh, one of the only, uh, I think it's only, one, it's one of two uh, hydroelectric lakes that the water actually flows uphill into the lake. There's, there's all these foundations and walls you think about, you know, 1926, all the property lines were divided by stone walls. I mean, you right. still see them up here in the Northeast. If you're, mm -hmm. you're driving around, you see stone walls going through the woods. So it's essentially the same thing. It's just underwater. Those really provide a lot of uh, habitat for fish, particularly smallmouth. And, you know, there's old roadbeds, lots of foundations, water wells, it's crazy what you see with like side imaging you see like a like literally a, it looks like a giant donut down there and they'll be fishing it too so they use all of that uh old man-made structure and a lot of the fish use those walls and roadbeds particularly as highways between the shallow and deep water um, because they usually lead right up to the bank where there are all those homes currently so they don't they don't really fluctuate the water anymore mm -hmm. um other than for the winter drawdowns which they really do for two reasons it's one's to manage the eurasian milfoil homeowners are not and, and recreational users are not thrilled with eurasian milfoil and then secondly is for people to perform repairs on like seawalls and stuff like that and docks and things that break but other than that the water level stays pretty consistent throughout the year. It may fluctuate about a foot in one direction or another from full pool, but it's not really a, an active hydroelectric lake. It's more, you know, they, they basically draw from it and add to it once a year. This structure that you're talking about, the foundations, the, the fence lines, things like that, is any of this marked on a map or do you have to go out there and, and find them all yourself with <laughs> electronics? A lot of them are marked. They are. Um, yeah, yeah. A lot of them are, are available on your more, you know, intricate mapping, the more updated mapping that's available out there, like Navionics and, uh, you know, Hummingbirds mapping. I know they have a lot of that stuff. Not all of it, though. Sure. <laughs> I was going to say, there's probably a <laughs> bunch of stuff that if you put your time in, you could find something special, I would imagine. Yeah. So I had the unique opportunity to actually work for the company that owned and operated the lake the actual hydroelectric facility. They had all of these old books and aerial photos oh. and crazy pictures of what used to be down there and Whoa. where it was. And so I got to see all of that stuff, which was really cool. It is really cool to see, you know, a foundation that you're fishing. I saw the house that used to be there. It was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. so, so when we're talking early spring or just ice out, that water temp's got to still be what in high mid thirties? Yeah. Yeah. We're talking, you know, upper thirties. And mm -hmm. when it gets to the, the lower forties, it's, that's when the bite really starts to pick up. Um, What's a handful of good techniques that time of year to catch some of these big smallmouth? 
the standards, the staples are, you know, going to be, you might still catch them on a blade bait. The ones that are kind of still transitioning out of the wintering areas. Once they've started to move though, Kitex swim bait. I mean, this little deal is a two eight. That two point eight Kitex, sure. Yeah, that's that's pretty deadly. And the hair jig is uh, is kind of second to none. I mean, this is uh, this is a little marabou one. Not I, I, you might get more into the materials and stuff like that later, but this is uh, the standard synthetic hair jig that I'll use ninety five percent of the time. But crawling that guy around on those stone walls in the transition areas where they the, the key is to kind of find the stone walls and and those old road beds that move from a wintering area to the shower flats and i mean it, it's they're super predictable you can follow them using those those road beds and rock walls and stuff like that all throughout the year to where they're going to be in the summer to then the transition from the summer back into the fall and then back into the winter. They use the same sort of stuff every year to get from place to place. So once you kind of have it down, you can get that those, those milk runs in to where you know where to go and when. But other than the, the hair jig and the swim bait, uh, fish do get shallow in a hurry too. Uh, and for those, the jerk bait is that's that's going to catch them you know whether it be a vision 110 or um, you know some guys prefer like a husky jerk or pointer 100 that 100 size and the 110 size seems to be the the deal there because the the forage is is alewives so they they hone in on slightly larger bait fish that time of year so looking at that hair the hair jigs the two that you showed in front of you we have uh, marabou and yep. then you have a synthetic I want to call what what would you call that? Uh, I guess you would call it craft hair. Craft hair. Um, yep. That's just a, a synthetic material. So the marabou is, you know, what guys a lot of guys are are used to using. Mm -hmm. You know, you see anybody who reads Bassmaster magazine or has watched, you know, pretty much any video on smallmouth fishing on YouTube over the past like five years knows a marabou jig. Marabou, you can see the hair is it, it moves a lot. It's super responsive to water and it's very it flails a lot super fluffy though so when it's in the water it condenses down a lot the craft hair and the synthetic is a little different it reacts in the water a lot differently than the marabou does uh has a lot more subtle of a response it's a little less cellular of material so it doesn't absorb as much water so it doesn't uh you know get as compact as marabou does and because of that, the hair is not going to be as responsive and billowing as a, as a marabou. So you fish these two jigs totally differently from one another. The marabou, you kind of swim around. Yep. Um, a lot of guys are familiar with that. The, uh, the synthetic, this is, a, this is a slow drag deal. You're counting rocks with this guy. And I, I fish both of them on the same tackle, really. I use a little bit longer of a rod for the marabou than I do for uh the synthetic just because i'm trying to get longer casts with with the marabou because i'm reeling it around the synthetic i'm using six pound floral i use i i prefer in physics i use seaguar in physics for pretty much everything that that i use her for a seven foot uh, medium white you can even get away with using like a like a drop shot rod i'm not a braid to floral guy i know a lot of people are they like it a lot just just not my thing uh it just seems like 
a lot of the times I'm fishing, it just tends to be windy. For me, I've gotten so many wind knots with, with braid that I just kind of tend to, to avoid it a little bit. I can um, see that. Yep. For no other reason, really. But yeah, pretty much the same gear, just two different applications. And and the the marabou isn't going to be as good in that deep water situation. This is more of a more of a shallow water deal. Once they've gotten up into that those shallower flats, this is going to be the deal. The synthetic really works well and shines when they're really down on the rocks and 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 eating out of the rocks, uh, feeding down um, instead of looking up. What is your a standard size that you're throwing as far as weight goes. It does vary based on the depth that I'm fishing and how windy it is too. Mm-hmm. If I can get away with an eighth, I'll throw an eighth. It's it's probably the the most natural presentation you can get away with as far as hair is concerned. But you know, sometimes I'm fishing twenty plus feet of water or in some serious wind. Mm-hmm. And uh when you're gonna drag a tiny little hair jig around in the wind, I go up to a quarter. A quarter. Okay. So an eighth or a quarter. I see both of those that you have displayed uh, for the for the listeners. They, they're straight black. Is that I, the standard I, color? That's pretty standard. I mean, when you get into to some other materials, I'll I'll tie some different colors. This is a, a silver fox with olive. That's a that's a pretty good one right there. I tie a lot of the silver fox this is orange fox this is the olive fox this is arctic um again this is the silver fox too tie a lot of fox i'll also tie this is coyote coyote is uh is a lot stiffer but there's there's different materials that i use for for different jigs but the synthetic is really the the all around i would say best for cold water other than maybe like you can dabble with bear hair, which is like really, really stiff, and and it doesn't uh, it doesn't move like at all. But it'll only work for like two to three weeks out of the year. So I uh, I try to stick with uh, with the synthetic. Um, it'll work, you know, all the way from that thirty six degree water temperature, all the way up to you know fifty five when they start to think about spawning. Okay. So colder water temps, you're using the synthetic, the craft hair, and you're throwing either an eighth or a quarter, and you're pretty much dragging that, correct? Are you using any type of trailer? No, not when I'm smallmouth fishing. When I'm smallmouth fishing, it seems like you got to continue to move the jig along the bottom. For some reason, when I fish for largemouth with a hair jig, Sometimes I'll include a really, really small trailer on it. And the only reason I'll use that is because I have to like literally leave the hair jigs sitting there on the bottom for a while, right in front of them for them to eat it. Cause they tend to be a little less aggressive. If I do that without a trailer, the hair jig will tilt over on its side. If I use a little trailer on it, it'll keep it from falling over on its side. It'll just stand there flat on the bottom usually. So just uh, helps me creep it a little, a little slower. I don't want anything that's going to add any action to it, though. Um, so if I use a trailer, like uh, one that I used to use before they discontinued them was the Cabin Creek Leech. And I used to actually cut it down and uh, put just like a section of that leech on there just to give it like body, stop the hair jig from, from rolling over on its side. You can get away with, you know, tying on a, 
on a football head too. Um, that helps a little bit. It's not as effective as I've found to have like that little trailer on there with a flat bottom on it. So even like uh, like an eerie darter type style bait, something with a flat bottom on it that has really not a lot of substance to it. So the Cabin Creek trailers are discontinued. If yeah. you wanted to pair something with that, what would be your next best bet if you wanted to stick with like the same color? Uh, you could probably get away with um, using like a like a small DRD bugs that might work. Anything that has like that flat bottom mm-hmm. uh, to it that's you know two two and a half maybe three inches at most. Okay, you're going to be able to get away with even if you got to modify something and cut a senko in half. I've done that before. Too. Got it. Well, that's interesting. So really, with that with that craft hair, if we're fishing for smallmouth, you're continuously trying to i imagine you kind of shaking that rod and moving along right yep. over that and then for yep. largemouth if you do decide to target those which on a lake like candlewood you certainly can yep. you're gonna slow it down a little bit and you feel like that trailer helps definitely so once that water temp starts warming up and, and you said that craft hair is good until about 55 degrees then you're gonna actually start using the marabou jig when they get up shallower and start throwing that around. And I assume that's just more of a steady retrieve through the water column yeah, for you. You know, everything that you, that you've read about marabou jigs, that it's essentially that the uh, same. Okay. Yeah. So when we have mid fifties approaching 60, what are you starting to focus on at that time? Right before they spawn on Kennewood, at least you get a really good finesse swim bait bite. I use, let's see, there's the longer city swim fish. There's the Kitek Easy Shiner or even just the regular swing impact uh, in the four inch sizes and just an eighth ounce jig head, ball head jig with a, with a three out hook on it. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of creep that around in some shallow water. That'll pick up a lot of those roamers that are just moving up. In addition to, you know, the staples, the springtime staples, like your, your suspending jerk baits are still working in that 55 degree range. The flat side crankbait is stellar there at okay. times. Once they get into that, you know, six foot or less, that's uh, pretty lights out uh, for both smallmouth and largemouth. Okay. And then once they once they get on beds, that's a whole other ball game. Um, I'll continue to use those those swim baits. That finesse swim bait is a really cool little dual deal. So. I'll creep it around for those fish that are still pre-spawn. And I, so I fish that swimming a little differently than a lot of people typically would too. I cast it out. I'm using spinning, spinning gear, uh, you know, eight pound test, uh, seven, two spinning rod again, straight fluoro. But instead of, you know, your standard swim bait fishing where you're pointing your rod tip down and just that slow, steady retrieve that everybody, you know, that's how everybody fishes the power tail swim baits. I actually put my rod tip up and I'm kind of gliding it down and lifting it and gliding it and lifting it. It allows me to fish it a lot slower in really shallow water. And that picks up a lot of fish that are roaming around. But if I see a bed mid retrieve that I may not have seen initially and my, you know, when I first casted, I'll let that sink into the bed too. Usually they'll at least react to it. But then when, you know, it's, it's full bore spawn, you, you move into your, you know, your, your Ned rigs, your drop shots. I 
don't know if there is a bait that makes them angrier than a Beast Coast Magic Flick on like a short leader drop shot. It just drives them absolutely nuts. Hmm. So that's that's definitely something that I that I use really frequently, particularly when it gets later in the spawn and the fish are less apt to to react to stuff because don't forget, I mean it's a fifty four hundred acre lake that has tournaments on it three to four days out of the week. You know, these fish are seeing everything. <laughs> right. They're getting there's there's nothing that these fish are not seeing and they're getting wise to stuff. So whereas in the beginning of the spawn you could drop anything in there and you're at least going to get a reaction out of these fish as long as you keep enough distance as it gets later in the spawn you know sometimes you'll see this big bright bed that you you say like there has to be a fish on that and you can't get him to, to react to anything it's just like oh the fish must be gone no he's still there <laughs> he's mm-hmm. still there you just gotta gotta work for him and, and find what he's gonna what he's gonna react to so that takes some some trial and error some different stuff over the years has worked has worked really well, but you just got to show them some different stuff. But you can tell can- Candlewood is, is interesting because it's relatively clear, but it's just dingy enough to where you can't really see fish. Like w- when they're on a bed and four feet of water or more, mm-hmm. you're not seeing the actual fish most of the time when you're fishing a bed. And th- that's also where a lot of guys mess up. So I continuously go behind guys fishing a shoreline and you know they're fishing it slow they're fishing every bed they see and i'll go behind them and focus on six to eight feet of water and really really slow down and look for those light spots and i'll catch four and five pound smallmouth that these guys just literally ran over Mm because they were fishing that three feet of water Mm -hmm. so that's definitely something that you gotta gotta focus on on a heavily pressured pressured body of water like candlewood there's those fish that don't get as much pressure and typically they they tend to be the bigger ones the bigger ones on candlewood are super smart they it's not their first rodeo you know they've been fished for before they know that you know if they make a nest in deeper water they're not going to get bothered as much they they definitely know what they're doing so you have to uh kind of be smart about your approach and not get right on top of them either. So a lot of times I'll just kind of start coasting my boat down a, a, a bank or, you know, an area where I know that they're spawning and I'll keep it in 10 feet of water and just, I'm going slow and I'm just looking at every angle I could possibly take. Cause a lot of times there's like little tiny subtleties that you pick up on and, you know, there'll be a five pounder on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you would never know it was a bed if you weren't, uh, really keyed in on on what to look for and, and i mean those fish can be caught honestly I, I hate saying this but they can be caught in pretty much anything a two a drop shot a shaky head a flick shake a, a ned a, even a hair jig sometimes anything that you bring through their beds they're 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 going to react to because they likely haven't seen a bait in quite some time uh, they've seen a lot of boats flying over them but they haven't seen baits wow. um yeah. so they're pretty easy to piss off but sure. they're also shy when you get a, your boat right on top of them. This is incredible information. I got a bunch of questions. I have to circle back before they get on the spawn because you mentioned two things, flat-sided crankbaits, and then you <laughs> did mention that, that Kai Tech. 
but I got to ask you some questions when it comes to that, because I'm curious before we move forward, but then we got to get into the summertime. There's so much going on here, guys. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the small mouth crush podcast. Don't rush out to the water just yet. We'll be right back after this break. Hey, I teamed up with Beast Coast Fishing to design this killer little jig. Whether you're fishing for smallmouth, largemouth, even spotted bass, this thing is sneaky. Designed with proven fish-catching characteristics, it's a tiny little finesse football jig. It's called the Open Water Sniper. Of course, it's smallmouth crush approved. They come in a wide variety of different colors. This one here is Sexy Melon. We got Mothman, Straight Black, Green Pumpkins, so you notice they actually have a few less strands than your standard football jig. No weed guard. You're going to be throwing this the same place you're going to throw an open water, say, exposed hook tube. So anytime you're around that type of structure, it's going to work real well in rocks, hard bottom. And all you're going to be doing is dragging this along. You can do a drag and stop, a continuous retrieve. You can put a little tiny swim bait on the back of that. There's so many different ways you can fish this jig. I've put a TRD on the back of it and looked at them on the graph and dropped straight down and just let it sit there. They're going to hit it. They're going to bite it. The whole point of this jig is to actually emphasize the trailer that you're going to use. So notice the small strands. The hook is very stout. It's perfect. It's got an awesome keeper for your plastics. I've caught so many fish on this this year. It will put more fish in the boat. Go check them out. Hey, listen, they got a lot of other great products as well. Beast Coast Fishing dot com and pick yourself up the ow open water sniper jig smallmouth crush approved all right can't let you off the hook that easy you mentioned flat-sided <laughs> cranks before the spawn i know you want to keep moving along here but we got to take you back and you did mention uh the finesse swim baits but i'm not sure how you're retrieving that so you mentioned you're throwing it out there and you're kind of letting it glide down but but pre-spawn are you are you doing that slow, steady retrieve horizontally through the water, or is that bait being crawled on the bottom? That's what I'm curious about when it comes to the swim baits. So definitely up in the water column. Uh, you mm. want it to be about two feet off the bottom is, is where I found kind of that sweet spot. Mm. Uh, you can nick the rocks, the larger boulders that come off of the bottom quite a bit, but those fish are looking up. It's it it you you really want to be moving that bait you know kind of mid water column. I mean you're fishing maybe four to eight feet of water, sometimes a little less maybe, depending on the day and the temperature and the wind. But yeah, it's a it's kind of a unique deal keeping your rod tip pointed at like eleven o'clock because when you know it, it sort of doesn't really feel very natural. You know what I mean? You're reeling like this. You know mm -hmm. it can be a little awkward when they hit it. You got you to gotta get it kind of down to a science with feeling the bite and then how to respond mm -hmm. to it. So you got you to gotta basically just reel down as much as you can uh, and just keep reeling <laughs> and then kind of lift into them. It's sort of like a drop shot hook set because, you know, they're hitting it and coming towards you also because they'll, they'll track the, the bait for quite a distance. But, man, they, they knock a lot of slack in your line that way. It's uh, – yeah. It's a really interesting technique and, and you pick up a lot of fish that like guys may miss on a jerk bait or on a crank bait, on a bait that, that's constantly moving. I, I don't think there's a bait that's constantly moving that you could fish as slowly as that. I mean, it is a, it is definitely a unique little deal. 
So let's talk about the flat sided cranks. You're I, I need to know. I, <laughs> yeah, look, I had one right here. There it yeah. is. So that's the bling, huh? <laughs> that is. That is. Good the eye. Bling. <laughs> I got a bunch of those. Um, I, I, I got a bunch of them too that I can't catch a fish on. So you got to tell me how oh to use God. those things. I'm serious. I'm serious. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> they probably went out in one of my last auctions. I don't even know if I still have them. So what's the secret uh, with that? I will take all of the ones that you have, please. Oh sir. man. Now I got to go to restock <laughs> for real. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty sick little crankbait. Okay. Um, so there's like five or six that I use sonic side. That's, that's pretty good. And I mean, obviously the bling on the plastic end, and then you get into the balsa stuff, the little Hermie, that's, that's a deal for when they're real shallow. Mm-hmm. Um, that's got more of a, an aggressive kick and wobble to it than most flat sides have. Uh, just cause it's like, it's a lot wider. It's pretty dang beefy. Dude, I, um, I don't know what a little Hermie is. What the heck is that? Should I know? <laughs> uh, well, maybe we can edit that out of this video. Nobody laughing. We'll see. We'll see. Um, that's uh, so that's it's a crankbait made by his name's Herman Oswald. He's a I think it's actually cedar. He's a cedar bait maker. Uh huh. And I'm not sure where he's based out of. Eric There's, and I have had a few conversations about the little army. They're still he in actually, production. He actually sold some of them. Uh-huh. Yeah, so they're still in production, but getting some is, <laughs> I mean, they sell out like like, uh, like instantly whenever they're in stock oh, wow. anywhere. So you got to like get the drop on them in order to, to get them. So that bling <laughs> you, 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 you put up that we saw, that was, uh, you know, red crawdad color. Are those the colors you're using that time of year? Or are you switching through some natural bait fish colors as well? Or what do you focus on? pretty much red and orange you know the the standard spring craw color occasionally believe it or not i'll throw uh either an all black but that's only really when the water's super muddy uh other than that makes sense yeah that craw seems to to do the trick something about it really pisses them off now you mentioned the sonic side the bling the little hermy there's there's some more right we're not done yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a couple more on the balsa side. I mean, there's a bunch of really good bait makers out there. You know, wooden crankbaits. There's a guy. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, I think one of the better known ones is probably Crankenstein, right? Mm-hmm. He makes some some really nice baits. Those those have have definitely been used. There's another guy baits that I've I've been able to get my hands on a couple of times. Um, who I I use very sparingly because they work really, really well, but they're not as easy to get. Uh, Coulter cranks. He makes some nice ones as well. Coultered? Yeah, Coulter. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I'm glad Let's I circled see. back. Yeah. And More baits the, to buy. On the, plastic, on the plastic side, too. What else? The Evergreen. That one's pretty good also. Their mm-hmm. flat side is... Uh, I've definitely caught a lot of fish on that one as well. So that's that's when they get up super shallow. Prior yeah, to I'd say five prior to the less. spawn, yep. or during the spawn. Okay, right up to when they're on beds. Okay. Okay, I'm glad I circled back. 
but we got to keep moving. We're running out of time. Well, we'll stay as long as this takes because this was pretty informative. So let's talk summer or or let's talk just postpone. What's going on? Postpone the fish get kind of lethargic. You know, I mean, it's called the postpone blues for a reason. That time of year, I'll I'll start looking at you know the weeds on Kennewood haven't gotten up yet. If they have, we're really lucky. But usually, you know, mid June, weeds are you know probably two feet off the surface, maybe three if we're if we're lucky so they're not really using it permanently yet fish get on that first break line and get under docks and on hard cover dock chains stuff like that Mm -hmm. that's when you know your your senkos your straight tail worms some slower stuff is going to come into play but once they start to get in the grass like once they really start using the grass you know that's when you can get into the the spinner baits, the top waters, and and one of the the main things, probably probably my my favorite way to target them is 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 this little dude right here. This is a that's a uh, Yamamoto. Oh, the Yamamoto D Shad. This is literally the only soft jerk bait that I use. Jeez. <laughs> um, okay. Listen, we just had another podcast and they were talking about the caffeine shad. So now I had to buy a bunch of caffeine shads because that's all he threw. Now I got to buy these. These, these, I, all right. So I will say a caffeine shad's pretty good. Um, but it's not as good as that. It's not the D shad, though. It's just all right. not. What size um, is that? Five inch? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Five Your inch. Standard five inch D shad. D shad. Um, eight dollars a pack for four that's so that's the biggest problem right (laughs) right anything yamamoto costs uh, an arm and a leg um he knows what he's got so Mm -hmm. and and the cool thing about these is they're super versatile right so and i'm sure the the caffeine shed has has similar properties but it doesn't have the the salt content uh, or the density that that these guys have so it's essentially a senko in the shape of a, of a, a minnow, but I have a kind of unique little system that I that I use for these guys. Okay, it may not seem like it because it's basically the exact same thing that you would normally fish on a Texas rig. I mean, uh, no weight in a Texas rig, but these weigh quite a bit, so I can use it on bait casting gear, no problem. Fifteen pound test, no problem. Again, I use straight fluoro pretty much with everything on candlewood that I can, mm-hmm. just because the fish are pressured and. Foro seems to to help with that. But one of the the big things that helps me, so a lot of people think of fishing a a fluke style bait, a soft plastic jerk bait, they think about fishing it fast over the grass, right? Mm -hmm. You're you're jerking your rod tip, you're 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 literally seeing the bait two feet under the surface, you're watching fish come up and and blast it. I do not fish it that way anymore. I used to, <laughs> but this, this new method has kind of steered me away from that because I'll get bigger fish. I definitely catch bigger fish doing this than I would, uh, targeting more active ones. So I use a beefy, beefy hook. That's a flipping hook right there. That's a, a super line EWG, uh, four out. Okay. And just Texas rig it like that. But the the main thing so one it's giving it more weight right mm-hmm. so this is sinking at quite at quite a rate 
And the second is, is so a lot of guys will say, okay, well, you can add a weight to it. You can, you know, put a weight in the back, put a weight in the front as far as nail weights are concerned, or you can have a belly weighted hook. And it doesn't distribute the weight evenly on these, and it, may, it affects the way that it falls. This is evenly distributed weight that's just the right amount to make it fall faster, but not affect that really erratic descent that these have moving back and forth in the water column. Mm -hmm. And I tend to dead stick these quite a bit, not just quite like a Senko, but I mean, you can fish it like you would fish a Senko, you know, just kind of cast it out there and let it sit there. You give it like 10 seconds after the initial cast and a couple of little twitches. And then, you know, another five or six seconds and a couple of little twitches, they will yank the rod out of your hands fishing wow. this thing. As opposed to, you know, your standard fluke where, you know, a lot of times I've found what happens is they, they and it's probably because they've seen so many, they'll come up chasing the fluke, you get five or six of them chasing it. And then all of a sudden, they just disappear. I'll throw that in the same areas where I found those fish and I'll catch like every single one. <laughs> hmm. they, they, they really seem to, I, I seem to have figured something out with this. I'd um, say. And I, I hope it, it helps people out there. I appreciate you uh, sharing that. Yes. Yeah, no problem. Wow. It's uh, it's um, it's a really unique little deal. And you can do it with kind of any color, too. Like, people think that, like, flukes, like, you know, I mean, 95% of the time I see somebody fishing with a soft plastic jerk, it's white. White, yeah. And, and I've, I've caught them on every single color in that thing. I'm talking, like, I throw. What are your top? What, what would, you know. Listen, I can't buy 15 different colors, but I want to buy two or three. What would you uh, recommend? If, so white's definitely definitely one. Okay. Um, that's going to mimic, you know, shad, you know, 90% of the time. Mm -hmm. If there are alewives in the body of water you're fishing, that's it. Don't, don't even get anything else. That's blue pearl. Mm -hmm. Buy that and buy all of them. Okay. <laughs> You're welcome, Gary. Well, it's December 9th right now. And so I get the upper hand before this goes uh, live on the 12th. So I'll have two <laughs> days to find these, uh, these little Hermes and these uh, D shad stuff. You know, I'll, I'll get it figured out. Hopefully there'll be some left for everyone else. So white, blue pearl. What else? Um, so this, uh, the one I was showing you before, this is uh, green pumpkin blue. Mm -hmm. That works really well. And then this is, this is another one. What's this? This is olive shad. Olive shad works pretty good too. Olive shad. Okay. Also, yeah, another I solid fish color. Mm -hmm. Good thing about the green pumpkin is if they're eating bluegill, they'll still eat the green pumpkin one pretty good. Um, it's uh, it's a little more versatile than you know your solely bait fish related colors mm -hmm. say what's the shallowest and what's the deepest that you've had success with that bait so the, the cool thing about this this system with that superline ewg and sorry i got hair all over it <laughs> <laughs> uh it's on the tying bench i can fish that in in 20 feet of water if i'm really patient with it because of the salt content of the bait as well as that weight added from the hook uh so i do fish it for schooling fish when they're post-spawn and off of the grass uh, in that, you know, 20-foot range as well. 
because right after the the bass spawn once the grass gets up the alewives spawn on candlewood and the alewives will just group up in these big pods when they're spawning offshore and even in the grass a little bit and that's kind of when these baits these baits shine but when they're down you know over 30 feet of water when they're down 20 feet i could still fish that through the school and i could also fish it in two feet of water no problem mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and I've caught fish doing both. It's a versatile deal. I like, I like, I really like baits that can be versatile or can be the little subtleties that you can, can use to improvise and, you know, use to fish a bait in deeper water or a bait that you can fish, you know, like I was talking about with the, the, the finesse swim bait deal during the spawn, you know, using it to fish for pre-spawners and spawners at the same time. That's a lot of the stuff that I try to to use to kind of maximize my fishing time. There's there's two populations of fish on Candlewood Lake. One's the population that stays in the weeds all year. The other is the population that gets out of Dodge. And there's ways to fish for both of them. The fish that stay in the weeds all year, you're either going to get on, you can get them flipping. Uh, believe it or not, Candlewood, I catch a lot of big smallmouth flipping weeds. You can catch them on a spook or, you know, any sort of top water over the weeds early in the morning or, you know, taking advantage of those low light days where you have cloud cover and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, and they roam around a little bit, but I really enjoy fishing offshore. So if there are, a pop, if there is a population of fish within offshore, I'm going after them. <laughs> uh, I just have to, I can't help myself. That's typically, you know, a drop shot, a swim bait, a spy bait kind of deal. Uh, you can get them dragging a tube. Those are really the the main things that I'll have tied on when I'm I'm looking for for fish offshore in the summer. So after the summer and we start to get into the fall months and you, the water starts to cool, I'm assuming that's September-ish, somewhere in there for you. Yeah, I would say it depends on the year. September can be pretty hot sometimes. Right. Uh, definitely October. You know, I mean this year there was still like an amazing flip and bite in the beginning of October and still tons of fish in the weeds. But usually what happens is the weeds start to die off that time of year and the fish start to, you know, evacuate. They'll get on those, those rock walls that kind of parallel weed lines. They'll again, use those, those road beds to get out into the deeper water from the shallower water. And again, it's it's really hard to beat, you know, your standard 3.8, 2.8, 4.8 size uh, paddle tail swim bait when they're moving out on that type of structure. Mm-hmm. Another thing, deep cranking can definitely get them going. If you've located a school of fish that's moved out and it's just kind of chilling off of a off of a spot where they're moving from the shallow water into the deeper water, you can get them kind of fire it up with uh, an 8XD, 6XD, even some spots. Um, all kind of depends on on how deep they are. The Mega Bass Deep 6 is is pretty good too. But there's a, mm-hmm. there's a solid deep cranking bite on Candlewood that time of year. And they, they use that stuff to move back out to their wintering areas. So before you have to slow down, you know, you can, you can fish a swim bait a little faster. You can pop a tube off of the bottom a little more aggressively. You can fish a football jig, 
but again, fishing it a little more aggressively than you normally would because the water's still got, you know, it's a little, it's a little on the warmer side. You know, you're mm-hmm. talking like in the sixties range. And then once they, once they kind of get out to where they're going, once the, the lake decides to actually start turning over and really get turned over, that's when you get back into the slower stuff using metal, using a blade bait. Mm-hmm. One of these guys, it's a Binsky. Binsky. Yep. Um, is that your blade bait of choice? Um, honestly, I have I have a lot of different ones that I use. The vault, the Zemiki vault's pretty good. There, there's a bunch. Honestly, they they all they all work pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really. I mean, the old head and sonars and, and the silver buddies. Those are you know the tried and trues, I guess you could say. But I, I don't I don't think I have a, a real preference as far as a company for a blade bait they're they're a hunk of metal <laughs> mm-hmm. you don't have to to go broke buying the, the 17 18 dollar ones that are out there i can't even imagine right people actually spend that money on them and oh they do cast. they do yeah yeah i know it i promise you that <laughs> oh man okay we're we're definitely approaching the time limit here mike good stuff seriously really good information i hope the uh, listeners and viewers Learned a lot on this episode. We got two more to go, so don't, uh, maybe three. I haven't decided if I'm going to cut her off on the 26th or go into the second, but we will have season two, which is basically talking with some of the top local and regional tournament anglers across the country, and I started already recording for that season, and it looks like we're going to be doing it more every other week instead of a weekly show because this is just too much. I'm going broke. Listen to guys like Mike. If I had to do this every week, my tackle bill would be way too expensive. I'm going to use that as the excuse. Or the other excuse is it's a lot of work uh, to do it on a weekly basis. I hope you guys don't mind. We're still going to bring some great content uh, moving forward for season two. Uh, Mike, before I let you go, I got to ask, what is your personal best on Candlewood? Uh, Personal best smallmouth is uh, 612. Personal best largemouth is eight one. Nice. So. Those are some big fish for up there. What'd you yep. catch that smallmouth on? Uh, I caught it on a three point eight Kitek. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what uh, if I told you, Mike, next year you can only fish for smallmouth on Candlewood with one bait oof. for the whole season. The whole season. What are you gonna pick? Oh boy. That is a good question. I I guess I would I'd probably have to go with a 2.8 swim bait, a Kitek 2.8 fat impact. That guy right there. Uh, as long as you'd let me rig it different ways. Absolutely. So how would you rig it? <laughs> I mean, the standard way is, is a football head, mm-hmm. you know, a, a football head with a one-aught hook, kind of creep it around. The reason I say that's probably the bait that I would use is because, you know, in the spring I've caught fish just kind of, literally just is literally creeping that around like not even reeling it just like literally dragging it just like i would fish a, a hair jig or a spider grub or mm-hmm. um you know any of those those smaller finesse baits you know i could definitely catch fish on it during the spawn pretty darn easily i've caught fish dropping it vertically next to docks and stuff like that when the weeds haven't been up yet uh again same deal either a ball head or uh, or a football head with a one-aught hook either an eighth or a quarter ounce, um, depending on how deep I'm fishing. There's also times where I could, I could fish that like up in the water column, keep it in the middle of the water column 
So I think it would be pretty pretty versatile. At least let me cover two thirds of the water column rather than. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I would be missing out on the top half, which would be a real shame. But <laughs> oh well. Right. It's always interesting. I love hearing what what everyone's um, answer is to that. We've had a lot. I mean, we're we're fifty podcasts in for the year, and quite a few anglers mentioned the swim bait would be one. Of course, I think I think the two, maybe the drop shot would be right up there as well with the top top baits yep. if they had to for for the whole for the whole season. Well, good stuff. I'm going to actually offer offer you coming on a, a future live maybe in the next couple of months guys what do you think i think we need to get you uh get you back on and, and talk a little bit more technical stuff and maybe get into some of the hair hair tie and, and how you go about that I, I find that really fascinating so i'd love to uh welcome you back on the live show let's do that before the spring if you're up for it oh absolutely that'd be so cool so how yeah. can how can people follow you get a hold of you as far as what you have going for next season Sure. Yeah. So I, um, I run a guide service, uh, on Canada Lake part-time. I am, you know, one of those guys that works a, a standard Monday through Friday, nine to five, but, uh, I, I really enjoy getting people out there on the water. So my, uh, my guide service operates pretty typically just on weekends. You can follow me on Instagram or Facebook at, uh, fishing with Meansy and get a hold of me through there dm me we can chat about you know if you if you're interested in getting out on the water though my schedule is already kind of filling up for next year believe Mm -hmm. it or not and that's that's about it love to to chat with all you guys if you ever have any questions about fishing particularly about canada or any of the bodies of water in connecticut or new york at least uh you know the lower half of new york Give me a shout. I love to uh, to chew the fat when it comes to fishing. Will do. Well, thanks again, Mike, and uh, thank you everyone who's stuck with us all season long. I promise you, we've got more amazing fish conversations moving forward with the Smallmouth Crush Podcast Season Two. And as always, until next time, we'll see you guys on the water. Thanks so much for listening today. Make sure that you're subscribed to the show and follow us on Instagram at Small Mouth Crush. Also, the YouTube channel, Small Mouth Crush. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a five-star rating and comment with a review below. And as always, until next time, we'll see you on the water.